This is part two of a two-part podcast. Hi, my name is Ryan. I've been a supporter of Paul's for many years now. I wish to get the podcast and video creation part of the system we call Paul back up to full speed. And I think Patreon support is a big part of that system. Go over to patreon.com slash paulwheaton. Make a pledge for each artifact that Paul creates. Again, the site is patreon.com slash paulwheaton. You can also find the link in the podcast notes. Enjoy the podcast. Next thing is going to be like most of your properties are going to be like next to a road of some kind. And maybe it's a dirt road. Maybe it's a paved road. But I know that um, for a while I was doing some community living in Washington State. And it was on a dirt road. And um, it's like there must have been 40 hillbillies living further down the road. And they would just race their rigs, you know, uh, by the house. And, man, it, it it's like if you're trying to get your zen on, you know, you're, like, trying to think, like, oh, I've got this beautiful sanctuary and this happiness. Or I'm going to I'm gonna make this video of this butterfly. And, uh, and then there's this <laughs> roaring engine. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like, all right, so you need a big-ass fucking berm right there. That's and, – and, hey, you guys have been here. What would you see I have next to the county road? Yeah. Big-ass fucking uh, berm. So well-built not only, uh, berm not only the audio. Well. Yeah, the, the berm shed. And, and you also get that, that blocking of sight so the neighbors that drive by – they just see this plain-looking hill, and they don't get, you know, inquisitive as to, oh, is that a pile of something laying there close enough I can go grab it while no one's looking? So you get a little bit of privacy. No, yeah. When we first got here and before we put the berms up, we had people stealing things. Um, and uh, and then, you know, talking about Department of Making You Sad, the um, uh, fish and game guy lived down the road farther and um, he always slowed down to go by our property to look at whatever we were doing and one day we were out there um, uh, processing a pig and um, and he stopped right where we were you know like on the county road blocking the county road he just stopped right there and he sat there for five minutes and uh, we just continued processing the pig, and then eventually he rolled down his window and shouted out, What kind of animal is that? Pig. He rolls up his window. Sat there for another five minutes, and then drove off. But it's like uh, we put up the berm. All these weird little things that kept happening, all these little small hostilities and all kinds of stuff stopped. I don't know. There's just nothing to see. People are bored. You know? And I think that's part of it. Be boring and they go right on by. But the thing, what I'm trying to get is we're, we're trying to talk about acres. How many acres do you want? And it's like a berm takes up some serious real estate. So if you're going to have a berm, you better you better set a, be planning on a big chunk of land right there. 
that's where I'm getting yeah. at. That's what I'm trying to say. Is like, okay, hey, look, I found this beautiful property. It's four acres next to this busy road. And, um, and it's kind of like, you're going to lose an acre and a half just to the berm. <laughs> you know? And uh, uh, plus, the other thing is, is it's like, if you're trying to live somewhere for greater values, I would, I would say the quiet is a value. Absolutely. And I would say that at this time, exhaust from automobiles might be part of the value. Now, right. if, if people are driving by and the road is like, uh, let's say the road is a quarter of a mile away and they're driving by, but 90% of the people that are driving by have been driving for already at least 10 minutes. With a gasoline vehicle, the catalytic converter is now warmed up so much that the amount of exhaust coming from that car that as a pollutant to you is very small. Like, like I remember the whole thing about like a, a lawnmower on average puts out more pollution than um, like seven cars or something like that because the car has the catalytic converter right? and, and once it once it gets heated up, then, you know, it's burning off a lot of the pollutants. But the lawnmower is not the gasoline lawnmower. Now, of course, hopefully someday more cars will be electric and there'll be less pollution and stuff like that. So that's a concern. But there's still the thing about the sound, about the noise of the cars going by, um, you know, let alone there's, other kinds of issues. Uh, when I was out at Wheaton Labs, I was camping up. On the on the volcano, mm -hmm. and it is so much louder up when you're higher than the berms. Yeah. When when you walk down to base camp, it is so much more quiet. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to try and fix that <laughs> someday. Okay. Well, we we'll, we will introduce more berms so that way when you put a tent on that spot, then it'll be quieter. Oh. You know, we'll put up some hugel cultures, some berms, etc. In time. Yeah, there were a couple of properties that I was looking at that were otherwise ideal as far as 20 acres of heavily wooded property that was right off of a paved road. So you didn't have to worry about, like, oh, I might need 50 feet of gravel to wherever I want to park the car. But, you know, it was otherwise good access. And I remember walking one of those properties, and that particular road was the primary route that a bunch of timber companies used for their trucks. And here come one of these loaded trucks by, oh, you know, as it's doing engine braking or whatever. And the, the noise was just terrific, um, terrifically loud, I should say. And... Just realizing, like, it didn't matter where you were on those 20 acres. It would sound like somebody was driving 20 feet away from you uh, when they'd go by. It's like, yeah, that, and, and, and see, hearing that 50 times a day, it would just drive you nuts. You wouldn't want to be there anymore. So that, that peace and quiet for me was a, a big factor when I was looking for property. Another one that I've heard from a lot of different people is um, you know, somebody in the neighborhood has teenagers with dirt bikes. And in the wintertime, they, you know, they do the snowmobiles. 
and uh, and so you know you're you're trying to get your Zen on, and you know there's this. So, uh, all right, the question on the table is how many acres, and I and I think that if we're going to talk about an average family of say four, I would say you know you're going to start with four acres. You can go up to seven to be a little, it makes it a little bit easier to, to grow all the food that you're going to need and all the other things you're going to want from acreage. Um, and then, uh, uh, add in your buffer from your neighbors and the many flavors of buffer that you might need or want. I think, I think now we're talking about something closer to 15 acres. And so for a, so an average family, we were looking at 15 acres. Now, all that said, um, a, a slight a slight difference is like, okay, here at my place, I offer an acre of deep roots. And, and uh, um, that's kind of like our basic package. But at the same time, there's community acres that could be used for growing food. And, um, you know, we, we try to, to encourage a lot of, you know, food that's more, um, uh, uh, like forage gardening, uh, uh, that mm-hmm. style. I don't, I'm sure you guys heard that podcast where, uh, we came up with this, this term forage gardening. Yes. Yeah. And so encourage a lot of that. But we also have had people doing deep roots where they've gotten two or three acres. And um, I think what we do is we sell the, the deep roots for uh, three acres of deep roots for the price of two acres. And, um, and that's a smart way to go. But most people get their deep roots plot in a place where there's room to expand later. Because that's another problem that you kind of face is that when you first get started with growing a garden, if you have many acres, it's, uh, we call it, uh, the abyss. And then you end up not growing any garden at all because you're trying to garden the entire plot. And yeah. you end up, you end up being spread too thin. And it's like, you really got to focus on like, on your first, your first year, do not try to grow a garden on more than a quarter of an acre. And then each year you can expand that garden. Um, and so I kind of feel like uh, an acre is a great place to start. And when you've got an acre and you're doing it on your own, it's kind of like, wow, this is a lot of land. <laughs> this is, it is yeah. enormous. You really want to focus on, want to focus on like your zone one space and yeah. develop that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and and put ninety maybe ninety percent of your effort on your quarter acre zone one, and then the rest of it gets ten percent of this and that for whatever reason. Too often people try to like I've got three acres and they try to spread it evenly across the whole three acres and it's like oh geez no you're gonna it's not gonna work you're gonna be sad it's gonna be frustrating. How many acres? All right, so there you go. If there's cattle, minimum of 80. I'm going to advocate community. Um, and so I would even, 
I think in this article, I think in the end, I, I said I prefer something about 200 acres. And, uh, but 80 is a minimum. Now I'm not allowed to eat beef. <laughs> Someday I might be allowed to eat beef again. Um, but, you know, gallstone stuff. Uh, but, but, um, for now I'm not allowed to eat beef. The, but the thing is, is that, uh, when I am allowed to eat beef, I, I do eat beef. Um, all right. What do you guys think? What are, what are your opinions on acres? Uh, I've been looking at places. I, I set my minimum to five acres when I do a search. Um, you get a lot more. There's a lot of places like that are just divided into five acre plots. Um, but yeah, I get what you're saying about about uh, when thinking about having a community and and all our buffers and everything. It seems that that five-acre plot, when we look at it, it's got to be perfect. Um, you know, we gotta we look at the neighbors and kind of estimate it. Like, are they spraying? Is it um, like timber company property where they spray, but they spray once in thirty years or something like that? And, and when was that? When are they going to do it again? Uh, I think most yeah, timber companies do not spray. We had a we we were looking at a property and we were very excited about it. It fell through for other reasons, but uh, it backed up against and was downhill from uh, a, a plot of land that had been cut. I think four years before. Mm-hmm. And we contacted the timber company and asked them, um, and it was a it was a the major one at least in the Pacific Northwest, um, and they were very nice. And they told us, well, they they sprayed there right after it was cut, and then um, and then they won't spray again until it until the next time it is cut, and that was I think thirty years or twenty years up the road. Was so, their response yeah. on that specific but property? There, there were some that did spray and some that didn't. When I was talking to the realtor in the area, um, and so yeah, it's sort of like yeah, these two companies they spray after they cut, and then these other three or four don't. So uh, yeah, it is hit or miss. You have to do your research on that if you're going to be nearby that property. So um, my impression is is that near roads, they will spray. And, and a lot of times it's, it's um, for legal reasons. Like they're being legally required to spray because, you know, an herbicide company pushed some law through and, you know, also pushed through enforcement of that law. Oh yeah, the uh, the Nature Conservatory or uh, whatever that group is is pretty much been overtaken by uh, Monsanto people. Oh yeah, push push spraying on everything. The, the of that course the Nature Conservancy is not a timber company, but yeah, the right. Nature Conservancy it's like well we got a bazillion dollars from all these people that have given us all this money, 
We're going to buy some land, and then we'll spend about just as much money buying herbicides because yeah. it's free money. And uh, we don't have a business model other than mm-hmm. to just buy land. And, and uh, you know, we've, we've decided to fear plants, and so we're going to just poison the fuck out of everything, and then we'll feel better. And uh, the plants... The, the plants that we don't like will mysteriously die, and the plants that we do like will thrive and be happy despite being poisoned because of wishful thinking and because we spent good money on it. It's bizarre how much they spray. It's just uncanny, the obscene yeah. amount that they spray. But a timber company is like, are you kidding me? That shit costs money. What the fuck would we want to pay that for? No way. Yeah, I got the feeling as they spray at, right after they cut just to keep any of the pioneer species down so they can come in and put in their, their duck furs and they'll have a, a leg up and then just they just kind of let them go. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is a strategy for some of them. And um, anyway, all right. Now, another the, uh, variable, too, is the shape of the plots that you're looking at. So, like, say you you find a 10-acre plot, but it's 200 feet by however many, you know, I guess it would be 2,000 feet, uh, right? You could have a 10-acre plot that's in those kind of proportions, and now you're not many feet away from a neighbor on either side, and then when you're dealing with noise or overspray of, of herbicides, things like that, or that road, um, you could lose usable, a lot more usable space on your property depending on that shape. You know, ideally you get the perfect square or, you know, in a weird world, I guess, a uh, perfect circle <laughs> that they would sell property in, but, um, but then you still have access roads and all that. So the, just that that acreage number might not be accurate, you know, depending on because there were a lot of properties I looked at that were really thin slices, and because they had that frontage, you know, small frontage to a road, and then you're going back, you know, hundreds and hundreds of feet. So the acres were okay, but the actual usable space, like you know, a golfer could, could hit a ball over your property and not, you know, hit it at all uh, when the ball landed, that type of thing. So I think a good thing to point out is that um, the uh, the guy that's over on Orcas Island, I remember reading the story years and years ago, and uh, he built a goat shed, and um, uh, and it was apparently a pretty small shed, um, but he spent three years in court over this goat shed. And so the thing is, is that the goat shed, which he built one day, and it wasn't much of a shed. It was just like, I, you know, I want my goats to be a little drier. And uh, it could be seen from the road. And so the, once he built it, somebody drove by and saw it and called it in. Like, that shouldn't be there. They shouldn't have done that. They're like... Uh, do they have a permit to build that house? Does it have a septic system? You know, and it's like, it's just, yeah. a, it's just a shed. It's, it's, it's not even tall enough for a person to stand up in. And uh, three years, 
three years over a tiny little goat shed. So, um, I believe it. I, all right. The, that makes, because the reason why I bring that up is like, even if you get your acres, and so you're talking about that long, skinny property, or you're talking about, you know, something that's, that's in the, um, five to 15 acres range, it's kind of like, can people see onto your property? And one of the things I kind of wanted to mention was the whole thing about when Sepp Holzer was in Montana a few years ago, he was in Bozeman. And um, we're at this property in Bozeman. And I know that I, I did a big podcast about it at the time. But um, they wanted to build a pond. And they, in the end, they decided, so here's Sepp Holzer ready to build a pond. He wants to build a pond. And then the landowner, you know, lost their courage at the last minute because they kind of thought, oh, we're going to get into so much trouble if we build this pond. And and their concern was is that right over there, about a quarter mile away, was uh, a neighbor who had a two-story house. And that that person could look from their second story over and see a pond and call it in. And um, the suggestion that I made, which they didn't do, was like to first build a berm right there along their own fence line so it's well within their own property, this nice big berm, and then the pond would go right next to the berm. So even if they're on the, the roof of that house, they would not see a pond because the issue with the pond is going to be um, a is it better to ask forgiveness than permission and if the pond is small enough then that is universally the case and b the only reason you will need to ask forgiveness is if somebody calls it in and if they can't see it they can't call it in so that was but now we're back to the thing of like is your property going to have any ponds on it and you and as permaculturalists we're like kind of a little crazy about ponds like yeah we want we want a lot of ponds and so it's like okay we got to calculate that end of the acreage as well and then it's kind of like do we need to make it so that people can't see the pond and we have add some more berms, that's going to take some acreage also. All right. So, Kyle, you were talking about your acreage and what you think is a good number. Mark, do you have a, a number for acreage? Personally, I like the idea of being able to, to build or grow that hedge around your property to, to limit, you know, sight lines as, as well as other things. But, yeah, I mean, as far as what's needed for actual production, like if I'm growing my own food, I wouldn't be raising animals. I mean, perhaps some chickens, but that would be probably the extent of what I would do. Um, but I'd be, you know, heating with wood and wanting to set up either uh, you know, a large enough woodlot or something that can be coppiced over time. So personally, I was looking at 20 acres when, when I was looking around, and a lot of that 
had to do with the the shape of the uh, lots tended to be rectangles, and you would get, say, a 600-foot by 1,600-foot space, which I thought was a, a good amount that, you know, I could plant a variety of trees and shrubs around the perimeter um, so that a person can't see more than, say, 150 feet in, and then you still end up having, you know, that middle half of the property um, as a strip that you could build whatever you wanted to. Um, but that's still a problem because who's to say somebody doesn't, you know, get a, a drone for Christmas and they're flying around and then they see something that wasn't there before. Um, they don't have to get real close to see a building or a pond or whatever else. So, um, so yeah, I mean, 20 acres seem like a, a good round number. Um, and there's lots of, the parcels that are sold that way typically because they're bought and sold by timber companies after they've harvested and they don't want to hold on to that, they'll try to sell it to somebody or twice the deck. <laughs> right. And, and they're patient. They all, they'll put a price on it. It's like, this is the price that, you know, we think will make it, get this property to sell in the next 10 years. Yeah. You know, and so we'll, we'll wait for the market to kind of go up and down and we'll catch it when it's up. No, they're so they're really, really patient in that way. Um, all right, so you were looking for twenty, and uh, Kyle sounded like you were looking more in the fifteen area. Yeah, um, sounds about right. Yeah. So, um, and then now I'm I'm advocating a colder climate. Uh, uh, slope land, but Kyle, it sounds like you're going to go for something a little, it's a, that's a colder climate, but warmer than what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, I'm looking, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, mostly, um, uh, west of the Cascades. Uh, kind of like the Seattle area. Yeah. So like, for those people that aren't too familiar with Washington state, it's like the, the left third of the state is um, what you think of when you think of some soggy stuff. The middle third of the state, maybe even a little bit more, is desert. I mean, like, think tumbleweeds. Yeah. And then the right edge of the state, like maybe a fifth, is like the very beginning. It's like the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, and it's starting to green up again. Yeah, out near Spokane. Yeah, Spokane. And then when you get into Idaho, then it starts being a big, big rocky mountain area. That's that's really nice. Right, right. Then you get to Montana. <laughs> so, but you're looking for the leftest third, which is going to yeah. be um, generally pretty soggy. I mean, there's a there are a couple of authentic rainforests. In Absolutely, yes. Yeah. And, uh, um, all right. So, but that's, that area, it's like in the winter time. Um, for most winters, the coldest temperature you'll see is like 10 or 15 degrees. Right. And, um, uh, the other thing is, is that, uh, it, it, to me, it's disgusting in the winter time. Everything is covered in a green slime. 
Um, <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Some people are into that. But I'm, I'm into that. <laughs> uh, to me, it's like most of the apple trees that you see there are are covered in lichen and mosses and um, and they tend to have a poor leaf count as the tree is struggling with problems with insects and um, funguses and all kinds of apple trees do so-so in the region. Um, uh, and so legit you're gonna you're gonna own that, Kyle, or should we have a should we have a little talk right now? <laughs> um, well, there's a lot of other reasons uh, for us to stay in the area. Um, oh no, no, you know, legit, no problem there, no problem. I'm yeah. just trying to say, like, horticulturally, it's kind of like, man, I love a good apple tree, but the apple trees, it's like, boy, you're gonna have to put some extra work in there in order for the apple trees to be a little happier. And it's, you know, it's not a huge amount, but you're going to want to take a little more care. There are, okay. there are some things that grow. Hopefully by default. There's some things hopefully that Hopefully by that, default, though, it will be um, better care taken just because of a permaculture mindset, too, yeah. uh, on that property. You know, the, the average apple tree out there in its monoculture type of setup is, doesn't, so well, but hopefully Kyle's would. You can grow fig trees where you are. I can't. You're, I mean, like, you can grow fig trees outside. People here grow fig trees in greenhouses. Um, but I hope to be able to someday grow a fig tree using nothing but microclimates, but that's another story for another day. Um, at the same time, if you build a hugo culture, uh, like, my hugo culture will last four times longer than yours. Yeah. Yeah. So, because because the difference of, like, you're in a cold area, but mine is colder. So, right. all right. I'm just, we're, we're talking about how to select land, and as a permi, I think that these are some of the metrics that are, there's a reason why I live in Montana, or why why I choose to live in Montana. I want something inland. More inland than where you're looking. Alright. Okay. What's so have we talked enough about acres? Should we move on I to the next so. piece? What are we talking I, about? I think next? so. Uh I had okay, I had one other thing written down. Um eighty acres for a cattle herd. What about and the benefit of having Ruminants on your property, is it the same 80 acres for goats or for sheep? No. Or is, oh, no. is, it, no. is, it, quite, is it much less? Yeah. Yeah. Although I think, I think when contemplating a homesteading lifestyle, a lot of people think that they want to get goats. Um, it's like, oh, I'll be able to milk them. And it's like, I hope you... I mean, it's it's possible that the goat milk that they've been enjoying was not fed. The goats were not fed what goats are intended to eat. But if you take a goat and you feed it what dairy cows eat, you get a milk that tastes like the milk from a dairy cow or more like the milk from a dairy cow. And so, um, but goats 
cast fence. Oh man, you're going to have to build some crazy industrial strength fence for goats. Sheep will be a little easier, but sheep are oftentimes also referred to as range maggots. They, um, they're, they can destroy land through, um, their hooves, but it's kind of like, you know, it's the, pigs are even worse in that respect. So, um, in many ways, cattle are like the, the best, but, um, uh, goats and sheep are definitely a possibility in that, in that realm. And they would require less, less than the 80 acres to do yeah. your full, your fully off the land. No outside input. System. I think, I think with, um, goats or sheep, you would probably be fine with something closer to, to 20 acres. Yeah. Okay. Alright. Um, next on my list, I had, um, location. Um, so, um, and then kind of four subcategories of that are, um, building codes, uh, hopefully lack thereof, or the non-enforcement of that. Uh, within an hour of a city, within 30 minutes of a nice town, and, um, I had my, that was from your article, and then I had my own little um, thing about the edge effect of being uh, in a poor county, rich county. Um, so we can start with building codes, which is a slight topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think, I mean, uh, an, an interesting thing is, is that uh, before buying the property that I'm on now, there was uh, something was told to me. Not only are, not only are there building codes, and and it's like when when the real estate agent showed me this particular property, base camp. Then she was telling me about her sister had this um, modification done to her, her sister. Her sister had a modification done to her home, the sister's home, and it was the bay window thing. Did a bay window, and. Um, uh, it's apparently a package. Like, you can go to the Home Depot, and it's like, oh, here's this bay window kit. And so the sister hired a, a dude to put it in. And uh, and so I uh, thought it was great. So then the real estate agent, the woman who um, uh, was trying to sell me this property, she explained that here she is in this county, which is different than Missoula County, and um, had the exact same person put in the exact same kit, and the total cost was half because of, you know, building goods. Now, keep in mind the story I told you earlier about Mike Ayler's neighbor. Um, right. It's like that's because there's a lack of codes in the area that the neighbor could legally dump shit along the fence line. Just open. Just, you know. That's, yeah, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Yeah. Um, 
I'm on, on the understanding um, uh, that things like septic tanks and when it comes to human waste, that the codes are pretty well, pretty much statewide, and even counties that don't have building codes still have codes about human waste. Yep. Yes. Now, a good now one of one of the other things that I was told is that um, as while exploring the many different counties that are near Missoula County. Um, there were some counties where they had no building codes, but they did have a building code enforcement department. Hmm. And it's like, what? That doesn't make any sense. What are they enforcing? Exactly. And so it turns out that uh, if you build something, then people from this office will come to your home and then they will cite you for having violated imaginary building codes. Oh, wow. But, but usually how it works is like this. They come to your home, and then they, the first thing they want to get an idea of is, did you, in the most recent election, did you vote for the right people? Or did you vote for the wrong people? If you voted for the wrong people, well, here's your citation. And you have, you're going to be fined $10,000 a day until you fix it. And they're like, that's not even a law. Yes, it is. Prove it. So, you get to go to court. And then, by the way, while you're in court, they found seven other things that they're citing you for. And it's, so it's not that you're violating building codes or that there are building codes. It's that we don't like your type around here. That's what it's for. Yeah. And so, um, you're going to be driven out. And, and, alright, so that was, so it's like, all I'm trying to do is to tell you that there's places where there's building codes and they, they adhere to the building codes and it's, it's, you know, they're, they're, backing it legitimately and then each each person from the department making you sad could be decent or they might not be and good luck you're on your own yeah the, so the trick is to just be kind of invisible kinda there's some there's a lot to be said for that and so when I live put in, in your verbs first yeah when I lived on Mount Spokane, there was only one person who could even see onto my property, and it was that guy with the horses that had the fucked up hooves who called the department making use out on everybody. So I got lots of visits from all the different departments. I got to learn so much. And when the people would come out, you could kind of tell that they were annoyed. Like they had some, they had other things they needed to be doing that were like legit, but the call was put in, they have to do their thing, etc. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, I can't even remember. <laughs> I've kind of gone off on a tangent here. What is I've got, I've got it in front of me. We were talking about uh, no building codes or lax or unenforced building codes. Uh, uh, 
if you're looking on the West Coast, I think you're going to encounter a higher rate of code enforcement due to the just the population density is going to be higher there. Um, I, I think so. Washington, they typically are talking about they want to move to the west coast of Washington or same with Oregon. Right? They may be in that Cascadia area. Yeah. They have a higher population in general. I know for Washington State, they had, uh, I'm trying to think of what it was called now, but they had this settlement that had to do with um, putting in wells for residential use. That up to a point, you could always put in a well on a property if it was for your personal residential use. And it the, the, the I guess the population density was so high in this one county that the county said, no, uh, we're going to challenge that in court uh, because eventually you're, you're lowering that water table more and more and more to where all the people who did have wells, they're now no longer deep enough and they don't have water. And so... Um, I can't remember the name of it now, but um, it might have been Hertz. Or, uh, but essentially, this this statewide law went into play, saying that no, you no longer have the the default or de facto right to install a residential well on a property that you purchase. That it first has to be analyzed to make sure that you're not going to affect the water table. And so uh, that was specifically due to. The West Coast, you would think with all the rain that they get in most places um, in that area that it wouldn't be an issue, but it is. So it's something to consider as well that if you don't have a well on, that, on the property you're looking at, you might not be allowed to install one. Um, and so when it comes to code enforcement, I think you'll, you'll run into a higher rate of, of compliance needed. Um, even if you are able to hide, like you said, it all takes is one person, even if they didn't see something, claiming they did and calling something in. And then somebody is now on your property walking it to see what they can find. So, you know, getting that the permission versus, uh, you know, doing it and, and dealing with it after the fact can be a problem. I want to add a thing that you just said there. And it's like somebody making the call, reporting something, even if it's not true. And I, I got to say, I've, I'll bet you that 90% of the calls that are made are, are, not, are not true. And, and it's kind of like, uh, um, I, think, I think that, uh, I mean, and, and, and they're complaint-driven. The department making these data is, is complaint-driven. Yes, and the complaint is going to be something like, "I saw them, you know, ripping apart babies to make nuclear weapons," <laughs> and uh, right. you know, and it's and it's like, uh, who knows what they actually saw? But it doesn't matter. It's like, wow, that sounds very serious. We got to go check it out. Ripping apart babies to make nuclear weapons—that sounds bad in like several different levels. And so. I think that the thing is, is that even if what you're doing is is perfectly legal and above board, that doesn't matter. You know, they'll, the call will still be made. The key is, is that what you want is you want them to see nothing at all. Because if they if they see you 
uh, out there with a scythe, then um, it gets called in. If they if they see you out there with a chainsaw, it gets called in. If they see you out there doing anything at all, it gets called in. And you're thinking like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Doesn't matter. It's it's based it's 100 based upon the crazy in the head of the person making the call. That's it. It's not rational. It's not reasonable. It's not decent. It's based on crazy people calling. That is the foundation of the system. And so uh, what you want is you don't want to inspire the crazy. Really, right? Right. And so another thing is, is it's like, oh, along the border, I'm going to plant trees and shrubs. A... Trees and shrubs are not nearly as good at soundproofing as a berm. Right. Now, we could have, we could make a full podcast about sound stuff. But also, another thing is, is the visual. So I told you about that place over in Washington State on the dirt road where those guys would, you know, drive their trucks, loud, loud trucks, very fast by that road. Yeah. And we would get a big cloud of dust coming onto us every time they would do that. Bunch of trees right up next to the road. Conifers. So you're round, but it's like it didn't stop the noise at all, nor did it stop the dust. So berms, baby. Berms. Berm is the word. So, all right. I want to make a suggestion about our format. I love okay. the idea that we get to go into infinite detail on all of these topics and make sure that we have said everything that we want to say about it. At the same time, my bladder is telling me that it's either time for a break or it's uh, it's time to finish recording for today. And then we can pick it up again next week. Okay. Uh, we're about halfway through my notes, at least. So, how about if we try again next week? Does that sound right? Sounds good. Okay. Yeah. Anything else either of you want to squeeze in before the uh, before we go? Nope. 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 Alright. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com where we talk about becoming a brand new homesteader Homesteading and permaculture all the time. All the time. All the time. Don't forget, go out to patreon.com slash Paul Wheaton and make a pledge for future artifacts.